I'm assuming you all can hear me okay. Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I have a, I have a little clock on my desk for keeping time, and it says we're an hour late so far because I forgot to change it. So, um, so let's get going. <laughs> uh, we'll begin. Hi, everybody. I'm Eugene Cash. This is the Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. We'll uh, have a meditation for about half an hour and then a talk and then a discussion. Um, please, uh, please um, set up a posture that works for you to be present and aware and awake. And you can be sitting on a cushion or a bench or a chair or a couch, or standing, or lying down, whatever works for you. But it's best to have basically your back being fairly straight without being stiff or tight. And to let your attention begin to permeate your body. so that we can develop an embodied awareness here tonight. And very gently scanning or sensing your body in different places to see if there's any extra holding that you can release or let go of right now. And as you settle into your posture, sitting here right now, and sensing your body quite fully, please become aware of the fact that the body is breathing.
And you don't have to fix or change or lengthen or shorten your breath. You want to be aware of the breath as it is, letting the breath do itself. Some of us may be aware of the breathing at the belly, the rising falling of the abdomen or the expansion and relaxation of the chest. Some of us may be aware of the sensations at the nostrils. And some of us may be aware of the whole body while it breathes. And taking a little time to really abide or establish this mindfulness of the body and the breathing. And you could stay with the body and the breathing for the whole meditation if you wish. Where you have the option if you feel composed, collected here, present, aware. And you can expand the space of awareness to include whatever is predominant in your experience. being aware of sounds or thoughts or smells or tastes or other sensations in the body or sights that appear. Or different states of consciousness which may arise. And the instructions are very similar for whatever's here. Can we be aware of it? Can we be aware of any reactions we have to whatever we're aware of? The liking of things or not liking of things or wanting of things or not wanting of things. And stay very present in the moment for however things change, which they will. They may change very slowly or very quickly. 
whatever's here, can we be present with the life here in this moment that's sitting in your seat, that's manifesting in your seat in this time here now? Staying very present moment by moment by moment with this life that's here. However it displays itself.
So tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about right intention, continuing on our uh, speaking about components of the Eightfold Noble Path. And um, right intention is, off, is also known as right thought or right resolve, depending on who's translating and who's interpreting. And they all work for me, any of those uh, ways of talking about what were the second, uh, no, the second factor, not the second of the Eightfold Path. After we did right understanding, which is also known as right view, and now we move to right intention or right thought or right resolve. And I wanted to begin with a quote from the Dhammapada that says, we are what we think. We are what we think. This is from the Buddha, the Dhammapada. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and heart and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are rises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure heart and mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. That's a very Buddhist poem, one of the oldest teachings of the Buddha in his poetic form. <clears throat> and, um, and then I hope to elucidate a little bit what that means as I go through the talk, right? And again, the, the path, the Eightfold Path, just to say the different components is um, right understanding or right view, right intention or thought, and then right speech, right action, right livelihood will come later. And then right mindfulness, right concentration, uh, excuse me, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration are the last three components. And the first two, these first two of understanding and um, intention are considered the wisdom factors and they condition the next three, which is about um, speech and action and livelihood, which is about uh, our virtue or how we live our life in the world, how we live a dharmic life. And then the other, um, the last three, which is about right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, are conditioned by if our hearts and minds are pure or clear or relaxed about how we live our life in the world, it's much easier to meditate and begin to unify the heart and mind, or sometimes it's called refine the heart and mind in practice, in formal meditation practice. And the Buddha said, he said, whatever a person considers and reflects upon for a long time, that will become the inclination of the mind. So the whatever a person considers and reflects upon for a long time, that will become the inclination of mind. So our, our view and our understanding begins to condition our intention about how we want to live. 
right? It inclines the mind in a certain direction, inclines the heart in a certain direction. And uh, intention is actually the Pali uh, phrase is sama uh, sankapa, right? Intention, thought, sometimes also um, interpreted as right resolve, right resolve. And Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about it this way. He says, thus a penetrating view of the nature of existence, right? Which has to do with view, a penetrating view of the nature of existence gained through deep reflection and validated through investigation brings a restring of values which set the heart and mind toward the goals commiserate with the new vision that as we start to wake up, as we keep getting here, as we keep learning and understanding reality, consciousness, what it is to be alive and what it is to be alive together, that begins to restructure our values and our intention and, and uh, which moves our heart and mind towards the goals that we seek and that we care about. <clears throat> And of course, I like language. So the word intention comes from the Latin intendere. And that and the in means toward, and the tendere means to stretch, right? To stretch towards, to stretch toward. And that's part of what we're all doing in practice. And that's part of what practice does to us, is it stretches us towards a bigger understanding of reality a bigger understanding of who and what we are, a bigger understanding of what each of us, what we are together, and a bigger understand stretches us to see there's more potential than we know for what's good and what's possible and what can happen in our life and in each moment, actually. So our this movement that being stretched in this way, in, uh, in the way of uh, intention, um, starts to expand the power of the mind to envision or to create or direct or to manifest that which we care about or that which we love or that what is important to us. And traditionally, right intention is, has three components that are emphasized. And the three are renunciation, kindness, and compassion. Those are part of the weave of, the, of what's called right intention. And of course, many of you know that right intention is also called wise intention. And I like the word right because it means coming into alignment with the truth. It's one of the... the, the the definition of right that I associate with intention, with right, and whether it's right view or right intention or right speech or right action, it's, it's action that brings us in alignment with the truth, speech that brings us in alignment with the truth. And of course, our intention, whether it be about um, um, renunciation or or uh, kindness or compassion is about bringing us in alignment with the truth. And the, generally the one that's most difficult for people is renunciation, 
It's very un, uh, United States of America uh, value. People don't value renunciation. Anything with a RE before it, we don't like. We don't like that. We don't like that. We, we can't do, we all think it means we can't do something. And, uh, and traditionally renunciation meant uh, really renouncing the world and renouncing the, and becoming a monastic traditionally. But for us, it means renouncing the, what we imagine the world to be and being open to discovering what the world actually is and what's possible, what the potential is for us to live in the world, a life of kindness and compassion and love and caring and action as needed. It, in the, um, uh, the Sufi tradition, they talk about it in a very, they say to be in the world, but not of it. To be in the world and not of it, not bound by the traditional understanding, whether it's our personal traditional understanding or the collective understanding of what it means to be a human being and what's possible for us as human beings. And so to, to renounce or withdraw from the world doesn't mean to stop, but to uh, let ourselves find our presence right in the middle of the world. And of course, this is a little bit of a combination of the two of right view and right understanding and what it means to be, what right is from Bhikkhu Bodhi that I often read, I like this. The tool the Buddha holds out to free the heart and mind from desire is understanding. Real renunciation is not a matter of compelling ourselves to get up things still inwardly cherished. It's not, uh, is not a matter of compelling ourselves to give up things still inwardly cherished but of changing our perspective on them so that they no longer bind us. When we understand the nature of desire, when we investigate closely with keen attention, desire falls away by itself. In this investigation, our concern must not be with what is pleasant, but with what is true. We have to be prepared and willing to discover what is true, even at the cost of our comfort. We have to be prepared and willing to discover what is true, even at the cost of our comfort. Real security always lies on the side of truth, not in the side of comfort. It's interesting, I'm reading this and I'm thinking about my own uh, a small little dukkha that I had today. And it's, uh, you know, on one level it's small, another level it's, I'm a little uh, bereft and it's not anything horrible, but, uh, many of you know I like to do CrossFit and I've been part of a CrossFit community for the last four years and they've been struggling since COVID-19 to continue and they've done they were online for a long time and then they stopped being online now they're in person but it's not working they can't afford it they're going to crash now and I just got a notice today saying it basically they're ending in two weeks and it's been a beautiful sangha for me to be part of that I've loved. And I love going there, I love workout, but also it's so nice to be in a sangha for me that's a different sangha where I'm nobody, right? I'm not 
Eugene Cash, the Spirit Rock teacher, or any of that stuff, or a Diamond Heart teacher, or so. I'm not somebody, you know. I'm just somebody who comes and works out there, and it's been it's been totally fun, and and I'm uh, sad today about it, and um, and of course immediately I know. Oh yeah, everything changes. You can't hold on to anything, even the things you really care about, which I really care about this. And even Pam was really sweet about it because she knows how much I love doing that. It's like, oh, if I meditate and go do CrossFit, I can't have a bad day. Doesn't matter. Whatever's happening, I can deal with it. And, um, you know, and I can do other things and I can do my own workout. But there was something about the community also that I really loved and appreciated. And uh, yeah, it wasn't my usual community. And also I was the only oldest person there. So that was really fun to, to be the old guy and still be doing it with all these young people. Young means, you know, like 50 and under uh, these days to me. But, um, but anyhow, so, so, but the renunciation is already there, but it doesn't mean I'm not sad about it. In other words, I know you, you have to let go of things. They can't hold on to things but I'm still sad and I don't have to let go of my sadness. I can be sad until the sadness, sadness lets go of me, which I, it will. <clears throat> and so um, here's another piece about renunciation. This is a much more fierce idea of renunciation from the Buddha when he sat down to wake up, it's written that he thought Though only my skin, sinews, bones remain and my blood and flesh dry up and wither away, yet never, will, fr never from this seat will I stir until I have attained full awakening. Okay, so that's, that was his intention to wake up. That was part of his intention, right? And that's a beautiful intention. And that's an intention we may all have, maybe not in that language of our, you know, blood going away and our everything, our skin and sinews and bones, you know, dry up or whatever it is he's saying. But it's the kind of fierceness of intention that's needed at times in our life and that we want to have access to that kind of aliveness that is willing to make that kind of intention and that kind of commitment. And of course, Suzuki Roshi says it this way, he said, renunciation, renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but seeing that we can't hold on to them, right? And it's a wisdom factor of right intention. And then the other two factors are heart factors, are the intentions of the heart, right? And they're really about loving kindness and compassion. The intention to have goodwill uh, with the perception that all beings want happiness, that all beings want happiness and the goodwill that that can bring in our heart. Hmm. 
the kindness, the loving kindness. Chungpa Rinpoche said, the kindness and generosity that we extend to ourselves is the foundation for our ability to relate to the world. It becomes the foundation of our ability to relate to others, even when we don't agree with them. We get that even their misunderstood actions are an attempt to be happy in some way, shape, or form. And of course, the Eightfold Path is all part of the Four Noble Truths, right? Of Dukkha, cause of Dukkha, end of Dukkha, and the path that leads to freedom, right? And so Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about how um, the intention arises out of seeing Dukkha. And he says, when we see how our own lives are pervaded by dukkha, that, that suffering or unsatisfactoriness is part of human life, and how this dukkha derives from craving and clinging, the mind and heart inclines to renunciation, to abandoning craving and clinging and the objects to which it binds us. Then, when we apply the truth in an analogous way to other living beings, the contemplation nourishes the growth of goodwill and harmlessness, which is one of the ways uh, loving kindness and compassion is talked about, goodwill and harmlessness. We see that like ourselves, all other living beings want to be happy. And again, like ourselves, they all are subject to suffering. The consideration that all beings seek happiness causes thoughts of goodwill to arise. The loving wish that they be well, happy, peaceful. The consideration that beings are exposed to suffering causes thoughts of harmlessness to arise. The compassionate wish, wish the compassionate wish that they be free from suffering. And compassion is such an important part of our practice for ourselves, first of all, and then for everybody else. And it's when we really get that we're hurting or we're sad or we're wounded or we're um, bereft that we can be really kind to ourselves and really compassionate that we're just having a hard time. It doesn't even have to be logical. We can just see sometimes part of my practice is I'm just seeing, am I suffering or am I not suffering? And if I'm not suffering, can I be kind to myself if I'm suffering? I don't even have to be able to figure out why I'm suffering, but can I be kind when I'm having a hard time? And with other people, compassion arises by entering into their subjectivity right, about really getting, oh, this is how it is for them, right? It means, it means um, sensing their experience or, or getting a feel for it or putting your, your feet in their shoes a little bit, right? And seeing that all beings want to be free from suffering. And so it makes it much easier to be compassionate with them even when they're acting ignorantly. And remember, compassion is not Walt Disney, it's not Disneyland compassion. It can be fierce compassion, it can be tough compassion, it can be, and it, that can still be a kind compassion. 
<clears throat> this is from Henry Wordsworth Longfellow, who said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. And that's, that's great dharma, in my opinion. And of course, it's also said it slightly differently by um, George Washington Carver. He said, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and the strong, because someday you will have been all of these. And so it means it's just seeing our humanness and seeing the humanness of others in an objective way, right? It's really right view being true view, objective view. Hmm. And I've said this many times, it's a quote that touches me from Anne Frank who died in the concentration camps in World War II. She said, in spite of everything, I believe people are truly good at heart. And that's, that's a profound understanding for someone who already knew what was happening and what was probably going to happen to her. Right? That people are truly good at heart. And, and, and I think that's true, even when they act like idiots, which all of us do sometimes and some of us more than others. Some of us I have much more reaction to, but I, I know somewhere in there, there's a good heart, whether they'll ever find it in the, this life or not, I don't know. And so those are a few thoughts about intention, a little overview of how it's understood traditionally. And I also wanted to talk about the election, which is some of you may know there's an election coming up uh, in the next few days, something like that. And um, um, okay, um, just somebody chatted me, but just remember, I don't read chats when I'm speaking or, or working here. I'll, I'll look at them at the end. Um, I want to talk about intention and the election and even looking for myself, or what does it mean? What's my intention I was thinking about in terms of the election? And of course, the first thing that came is, can I stay present? Can I stay aware? Can I stay awake? Can I be kind and support freedom no matter what happens? because I have no idea what's gonna happen in the election. And I have no idea if it'll be, a, I, I just have no idea. I hear a lot of different things. I read different things, different things on the internet, different things people tell me, their fears. There's a lot of fear about the election. There's a lot of concern and I appreciate all that. But personally, I don't know what's going to happen. And I know I'll only know as we live through it, not before. And so even before, my intention is, can I stay present in this moment with what's true? And what's most true is I don't know what's going to happen. And there are some possibilities that I would really hope do not happen, right, in terms of... Uh, 
violence or or um, disinformation about the ballots or what happens with ballots and things like that. All the concerns that people have, I share that, but I don't know what's going to happen. So can I stay in this moment right here and not project myself into the future and what's supposed to happen or what people are afraid is going to happen? And even when shit happens, which stuff might happen, can I stay present and aware and awake right here, no matter what's happening, so I can respond to it as skillfully as possible with as much kindness and clarity and fierceness, if that's what's needed, but seeing what's needed and what's appropriate as things arise. And so part of the contemplation of what it means to live with right intention during the election is to see, is my intention coming from right view? Is it objective, right? And also is my intention um, um, renouncing what's not true, right? Letting go of what's not true and also being as kind and compassionate as possible. <clears throat> I was in a meeting uh, earlier this morning for Diamond Approach Teachers, which is, happens once a month. And it's kind of a, uh, just Diamond Approach Teachers getting together and talking about their practice together. And uh, people are very concerned about the election. I was, I was a little surprised how concerned people were. And, but it was the same question. They were all, oh, can they stay centered if there is turmoil for a month after the election? That was one of the questions people brought up because there may be turmoil. Or what, what does it take to be present and awake and aware and conscious, whatever happens? And, I, and of course, there are questions. There's, that question is also my question. I think it's all of our question. Can we stay aware, awake, present, conscious, and here with whatever is happening and be mindful of the feelings and thoughts we have, not just attached to them, but if they're not objective, to keep renouncing them or let go of it. I'm, I'm conflating renouncing and letting go at this time. And for you all, I'm, I wanna give you a question or two, you know, what's your heart's deepest intention in general and also for the election? What's your, your intention? How's, how, will, how will you practice with and through the election? That's gonna happen. And then a quote from the Dalai Lama, he said, we must have a pure, honest, warm-hearted motivation. We must have a pure, honest, and warm-hearted motivation. And on top of that, determination, optimism, hope, and the ability not to be discouraged. The whole of humanity depends on this motivation. It's a beautiful understanding of a, of a full kind of intention to be with life to be with human life. And of course, his own intention, which I've heard many times, I've heard him say it many times, is very profound. He says, 
for as long as space endures, for as long as space endures and for as long as living beings remain, until then may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world, right? And you hear his compassion, his intention to live and to be present and to live a compassionate life as long as it takes, for as long as living beings remain. And so it's a fierce kind of intention from the Dalai Lama. So those are some of my thoughts. I'd love to hear from you as I always do. I always think the Dharma really comes alive when we speak it together. And when I hear your thoughts or your questions or your comments or your reactions or what made sense to you, what didn't make sense to you, always good. And I would love it if you please um, raise your hand by going to the participants button at the bottom and you'll find a way to raise, if you click on that, then there'll be a way for you to raise your hand. And then if you raise your hand, I can call on you. Anything about intention or the election or waking up? Alicia. Can Eugene, can you uh, recite or say again the Dalai Lama's quote? Yeah, wait a minute. Wait, wait. I just want to put it on speaker view. I like to see who's talking. Yeah. I mean, I'd get the whole gallery, but yeah, sure. Uh, which quote? Because I, I really conflated two. Uh, the the penult penultimate one. Penultimate. Okay. He said, we must have a pure, honest, and warm-hearted motivation. Right? And on top of that, determination, optimism, hope, and the ability not to be discouraged. The whole of humanity depends on this motivation. And I mean, this is being said by a person who lost everything, everything in the world, his country, his temples, his people lost their freedom. And he's saying, we must have a pure, honest and warm-hearted motivation. And I have no doubt that he has that, right? Even with all the dukkha and difficulty that he's had to live with in his lifetime, right? Yeah. It seems that um, the optimism, the optimism is so hard sometimes. Yeah. And the reality is pessimism. And so if reality is pessimism, but he's pointing towards optimism is going to. Well, well, why is the re why is the reality pessimism? We, must, we might be sad about what's happening. We might be fearful about what's happening, but you still know how good the human heart is. There's so many good people in the world everywhere. This actually came up also in my teacher meeting with the Diamond Approach. We were talking about how good people are, how kind people are. Somebody was talking, they were talking about fires in Colorado. There's, number of these people live in Colorado and the fires and how they were cared for and how people of every political assuage who whatever their political 
preferences were so many people came to help the animals who they were the horses who might be burned in the fire and they and they were coming with their their you know not just their cars but with trailers to help get the and they didn't know whose horses they were or anything but the good heartedness is there and i trust that even though i know how uh ignorant people can be or power hungry or yeah or scared because i yeah. think power hungry is all about fear yeah yeah if you're not afraid why do you need power right <laughs> right i mean you know yeah 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 so watch out about you know so i'm not the dalai lama but if i was to say it uh, on top of that, we need um, determination. I like the warm-heartedness, good-heartedness. Maybe I want to use the word optimism, but but he sees something that I don't. I don't think most of us see, which is the beauty of reality, and that's a whole other level of practice. Just to see the goodness of life itself. Just this moment, right? Like we're in the middle of the election. But this moment is magical, just that we're alive, just that. And that's a very profound understanding of the most simple thing is that we're alive. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for raising your hand. Stephanie, please unmute yourself. Good evening, everyone. I would love to know how you answered the question, Eugene. How are you, how do you sit with the turmoil of whatever is going to be coming uh, up with the election? I, I hope I said a little bit about how I'm sitting with it. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know how I'll sit with the turmoil until I'm in the middle of the turmoil. Right. But what I know is I know how to stay present and I know how to stay aware and I know how to not just believe my fears and thoughts, but to, to keep staying present, to look as objectively as possible at what's, at what's happening and how can I respond? How can I help? What can I do? And, you know, what can I do in many different ways, whatever ways I can help? Because, um, yeah, I'm, I have my preferences about the election and what I think should happen. Totally. I'm totally clear about that. But, but I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know how I'll respond in the moment or what the moment calls for because it'll be a new moment. So that, that, makes, me, that makes it easier for me to relax right now. Because I don't have to know right now. But I do want to keep being present moment by moment by moment because that's what I trust. Okay? Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else?
Jim, hi Jim. Hold on, Jim. I'm gonna you unmute yourself, and then I gotta do one thing. The dog thinks it's time for his treat. I don't call it. He, he doesn't know that the time changed, right? <laughs> so for him, it's an hour later. He's like, where are you? Come on, it's time. He's, he's very clear about what he thinks is true. <laughs> my, my stomach as well is confused. <laughs> yeah. um, this is a real technical question, but what is the difference between volition and intention? In Buddhist philosophy, and I and I, I think I understand that right intention or right thought is one word that we use as intention, and then there's intention closer to volition. But I was hoping you could. Well, the other word that's used is right resolve, mm. right? And so it, it's really the way I hear it. It's about will, using one's will also. And so the intention is it's an it's a thought. But it's also, it's got a little, uh, in my language, vump to it. It's got a little power to it. You, it's something you want. It's got some energy to it. And so I'm re, I make a resolve, you know, may all, all beings wake up. That's an intention, right? May all beings be free is an intention. And that can be a very potent intention. Right? Like, yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. And then volition? Volition is will. I'm saying that's yeah, will. I think that's what the word means, isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm looking at something. Yeah. Based yeah. on where I see volition in like the teachings in certain lists, I see them almost as more of a reaction, a natural reaction, say, to Vedana, um, uh -huh. and not so willful, that being volition, or uh, what's the Pali word, um, satana, or something like that, versus mm -hmm. the intention of right intention being sam sampana, or sampala, sama, I actually have it, put it up, what are they? But anyways, that was... One, yeah. one I was thinking is more willful and the other one is more reactive, but that's just my brain adding to it. No, you know, you may be right, but my understanding, it, the way I was thinking about it was volition was about will. And it's not a word that's used a lot in Buddhism, will, but volition makes it sound better. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Okay. Okay, it's the best I can do on that one, Jim. All right, thank you. Sure. Okay, Miru. Hi, Jim, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah, it's Sankatha is intention, the resolve, or thought, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Hi, um, thanks for tonight's talk and then connecting it to the election. Um, I think that's always that's been kind of a topic in every conversation that I had uh, for the last couple of weeks too. And as I was listening to you about, um, especially as you're quoting Dalai Lama's 
and seeing the goodness in individuals. I got reminded of this, um, some social psychology research and, and I got curious because the research says that for people when you are just you and me, and so you and me in relationship, people are kinder yeah, and they yeah. get to really connect to themselves better. But when mm -hmm. it becomes the us than them, mm -hmm. um, then that, that's when become, things become uh, dicier and more aggressive. So these psychologists, social psychologists actually found out that Wait, they so were trying to- what, what kind of psychology? Social psychologists social were psychology. trying to find what make the group um, what kind of factors make the group behave more aggressively to each other. And they mm -hmm. found out that groups reframe the moral behaviors to justify, to, in order to achieve the goals. So for the group goals, they can justify whatever action they take. So their moral mm -hmm. behaviors are more unclear. Mm -hmm. um, and then the groups also diffuse the responsibility to act good. So when you're in group, when you are doing as an individual doing something bad, then it's more obvious. So you are more, you feel more responsible. But in the group environment, when you do something wrong, then you can. It's kind of diffused somehow. So people don't feel responsible for their individual actions if it mm -hmm. is a bad act. Yeah. And then the third one was, the third one was most interesting to me and somehow kind of related with the Buddhist teaching, which is um, groups make individuals lose touch with themselves as an individual. So they basically simply lose the, lose the connection with themselves. And, and that makes them kind of, it, it's almost like losing their own self view or identity. And then they just follow whatever is around. Mm -hmm. And, um, but also kind of we, as a social being, we cannot live without the group too. We have to belong to a group. So, so but it, let me say a couple of things just quickly because yeah. you're talking about as I'm hearing it, I'm hearing what it's like to be in a pack, mm -hmm. right? A group, mm -hmm. and I'm using that uh, uh, consciously because there's something about an animal instinct that happens mm -hmm. in that kind of group. And mm -hmm. so you go with the, the survival instinct that animals yeah. have, right? And so, mm -hmm. and you know, and that's very normal. We're, we're all animals, right? Mm -hmm. And there is the potential for waking up through the instincts, right? And mm -hmm. so, and, and it's true, there is also something, uh, there's something about the um, collective where we can lose ourselves, and it can be uh, not helpful losing ourselves, or it could be a more helpful losing of ourselves. Yeah. Right? And that just yeah. depends on the flavor of the group because mm -hmm. not all groups are just bound to the animal instinct right mm -hmm. and there's a lot of different movements in in um in human history of course the first two people go to come to mind are gandhi and reverend martin luther king jr right who led groups who were leading um groups towards a collective freedom without trying to harm other people. And mm -hmm. it wasn't based on that animal instinct. It was based on what is sometimes called, what in my language, the enlightenment instinct or the awakening mm. instinct, which is about freedom, 
and is mm-hmm. beautiful and is very important for all of us. Yeah, I think you're right. And that was the thought kind of that I was kind of curious about too. Like I, I, I started thinking about then what's the right leadership because as you said, group can go either way, mm-hmm. but then the right leadership might be um, the leadership that can really connect to fundamentally what we really want in the, as an individual humans. And it's, as you said, a freedom, happiness, and, and yeah. those people like Gandhi um, or even Dalai Lama too, they're reminding people that that's the, that's what we, who we are. Um, yeah. But if you also direct it into a very wrong way, then you can also see what you're seeing too. So um, yeah. yeah, so it's very curious, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, so thanks for, thanks for making the talk um, because it was a really good thought, yeah. Thank you, but also it's true that human evolution goes slowly, in my opinion. Yeah. And. You know, and we're we're still evolving, and I think getting better. But it's just, um, and I don't have these facts in my head, but I've heard it where people talk about, oh, there's actually less hunger, starvation, uh, hurt in the world than there used to be. But yeah. it doesn't get publicized. What gets publicized mm-hmm. is all the difficulty, and because we live in such a media. Um, uh, I don't even know what's media complex reality now. We're always hearing what's wrong every every day, every moment. If we stay online, you know, it's like shit's happening everywhere, you know, is what it seems like. And it is. And good things are also happening. And uh, yeah. that doesn't get as publicized. Yeah, it's true. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Who else? Anybody else? Is everybody voting? I assume you're all voting, right? Or if you've all voted, right? We voted. It was fun to make that happen, do that. Ben. Hey, Ben. How are you, Ben? Unmute yourself, Ben. Hi, Eugene. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm, I'm turning you up. You're going to show me a picture, or no? You're just going to show me a photograph. Yeah, my camera's not so good right now. Um, um, so, one thing I notice is that when these phenomena are arising, thoughts or or feelings or sensations, whatever, sometimes the mind wants to push them away. Or I don't know if it's the mind, but something in me wants to push them away, doesn't want to accept them. And I also notice when I am able to accept them, to encompass them as part of what's going on, that they kind of I don't know if they dissolve, but the whole relationship changes. And it's easier to just be. Uh-huh. And, and that seems to me to be a very subtle um, process that's going on all the time. 
the phenomena are always constantly arising and right. uh, going away, whatever they are, be they thought forms or sensations or feelings. Um, and, and it's also very subtle when they aren't accepted into the whole melange, the whole process. Um, because if they're not accepted, then they become a blockage or, or something in the way. It's, it becomes hard. I, I, I have a hard time describing it, but. Um, so oh, here's my question. Maybe it's too quick, my question, because I'm still trying to get what you're pointing at. But there's, and also the dog is just scratching on the door like crazy. Because Oh, go get the dog. <laughs> oh, he never licks. He licked me. That's like so rare. He's happier. Yeah. I finally let him into the thing, but he doesn't like to get picked up. So I'm going to put him down. Okay, stay here and relax. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I think what you so just wait, said. Wait. Let me just say one thing, because what I here's what I heard that there's thoughts and, you know, things arise, thoughts and feelings. And when you don't hold on to them, they, they come and go, right? Yes. And sometimes they stick around and they become difficult, correct? Because some part of me doesn't want to accept them. Right. And so that's a really good time to be aware of the reaction you're having. You don't mm. have to want to accept them feel the part of you that doesn't want become aware of the part of you that doesn't want to accept them and feel that because there's a lot of energy there and you know believe me i got this news about my uh my crossfit scene ending and i was sad and i watched how quickly my mind just wanted to let go of it and yeah okay that's it. But then I realized, no, no, really, I'm not happy about this. Stop and, and feel the unhappiness. Be sad about it. Because, of course, everything's impermanent. And, of course, I'm, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to hold on to the CrossFit, blah, blah, blah. But I'm still sad. And so instead of just getting over it, I stayed with the sadness, even though I didn't want to be sad. I had my own reaction to the being sad, right? I like being happy, but that's, <laughs> that's not the whole picture either. Right. And so that's what I would encourage you. I would encourage you to try and really um, sense what's the energy that reacts to whatever you're thinking or feeling and stay present with that and see what happens. Well, and what occurs to me, I don't want to, I want to be careful not to respond too quickly, 
Uh-huh. But what what occurs to me is the subtlety and how difficult it is to just be. <laughs> I am only laughing because it's totally true. It is. Our all our training is not about being. It's about doing. Yeah. Right? And that's good. We know how to do. That's a really good thing to learn. But we are human beings. And it's really something. It's it's really what practice points us. Can we just be? And that is not easy. I mean, and it is. So that's why uh, it's funny. I just got a, I just scheduled a month-long sitting next year. For a year from now, I'm going to go sit for a month. And I'm totally excited about it. And it's, but it's like, that's one of the great things because there's nothing to do when you go do a month long sitting except just be. And of course, that doesn't make it easy, but it's still, that's all, that's all you're there for. You just sit, walk, eat, shit, piss. You know, maybe you hear a talk, uh, I think twice a week on this retreat that I'm going to. And it's like, you know, all you have to do is be there. And it supports being, revealing reality. And I've done enough of these kind of retreats to know that that's true. But I didn't know it before I did it. I, I learned it by doing it. Yeah, I've, I've done a few in my time. And... Um, To what you say about relaxation, really, that sounded like a key. Um, Holy to, key, key. Yeah. And, yeah. and so a 30-day retreat allows the settling and, and into that, into relaxing. Um, yeah, but don't kid yourself. You can relax. It's not easy. Yeah. It's true. The, the retreat supports the relaxing, but we can relax right now. Because in this moment, right now, for you, for me, for everybody sitting here, we're all okay. Even with whatever is not okay, we're okay. Life is here. Consciousness is here. And we can be aware in this moment. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing my shtick right now, but I'm going to push it. <laughs> It's, it's a good well, one thing about volition, uh-huh. and I'm not totally clear about it <laughs> or anything, not totally clear, but it seems to have something to do with choice. Well, um, yeah, no, of course, you choose. It's an intention. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to look up volition. Let's see what the hell is. <laughs> oh, it's funny. I had it already up there. Volition, the power of using one's will is the first thing. And then, uh, yeah, one's will or one's wish, right? It's from the Latin volo, meaning I wish. And then, and then with the source, volition is uh, right. Is about will. 
nothing very interesting there for me. But yeah, so it is. It's about one's will. I was right. I want credit for being right on that one. Definitely give give you credit. And, you. and the word the word wish is wonderful because ordinarily we use that word for I wish I had this or that, but really it's a deeper kind right. of desire. Uh, um, to, yeah, towards, it's towards truth. Wish. Yeah, it's yeah, wish yeah. Truth or the Dharma, or for freedom, or for love, or for waking up, or for being ourselves, whatever it might be for each of you. That's what I, I was asking a question. What's your heart's deepest, uh, deepest intention or deepest wish? Yeah. So I think we're going to stop there because the dog's. I'm, I'm going to mute myself. Okay, mute away. Let's do a little sharing of merit to end the evening for Grover so he can get his treat and be happy. Yeah, yeah, Grover. Um, taking a moment to just reflect on our good fortune that we're alive, we're here, we're studying the Dharma together, and we're studying what's gonna happen in this election and how to practice and uh, let our, um, our um, heartfulness come forward. Let ourselves renounce what's not true and wake up to the truth in every moment, whatever's happening and whatever happens in this election and uh, sending our good fortune out in every direction, in every realm, in every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings awaken and discover their heartfelt intention to be kind and caring and compassionate and free. May we awaken together. Thank you, everybody. Good to be with you. I just want to remind you to, if you want to be generous and send some money to San Francisco Insight to go to the San Francisco Insight uh, website and there'll be a place for donations and you can click on it and offer something to support SF Insight and the teacher, thank you for your generosity. And uh, please keep staying present through the election and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. Okay. Okay, everybody. Be well. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks. Bye-bye.